Turn with me over to the book of John. We're going to look at chapter 17. The title of the message today is Being Kept. Being Kept. I am the second to last in our series called Love Sick. And the title of the series that we've been on for the last few weeks is not related to how someone is feeling about somebody and that they are love sick over a person. It's related to how our love is sick and it needs some health. And so we need some scriptural help to bring our love, our concept of love, our commitment to one another, God's kind of love into health. John chapter 17, we're going to look at verses 11 through 15. John 17, 11 through 15, being kept. Jesus is praying and he's saying to the Father, I am no longer in the world and yet they themselves are in the world and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name which you have given me and I guarded them and not one of them perished but the son of perdition so that the scripture would be fulfilled. 13, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Lord, help us as we study your word. Two things in this passage about which I'd like to concentrate. One, how we are kept together in his name. And two, how we are kept through things by the word. How we are kept through the word. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is his last earthly night on the planet. And he is trying to figure out how in the world he can communicate to God in such a way that it really benefits the disciples. They just had what we call the last meal. And they've gone through quite a week. On Sunday, everybody was lauding Christ, trying to figure out how in the world they could position him as their earthly Messiah, taking up a throne that week, kicking out Pilate, uprooting Herod, who was the leader of the Jews, taking out the religious officials who were hypocritical, and setting up a kingdom that would allow him to be seen as the son of David, the one who would be the, the person to fulfill the promise of Isaiah, having a kingdom that would never end and would always increase. That's what they thought. Hosanna to the son of David as palm leaves were being thrown at his feet as he traveled on a donkey. That was on Sunday. By Wednesday night, things had turned and they had gone from being the darlings of the city to the despised of the city. So much so that they were now plotting to kill Jesus. The disciples' heads were just blown twitching, turning. What happened in three days? How did we wind up here? At the meal, they were looking at one another thinking, this doesn't feel right. We're taking the Passover, but it feels, it feels like a morning meal, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. It doesn't feel right. And Jesus tells them, it's going to get bad in the next 24 hours going to treat me really bad and by the way all of you will fall away and they're thinking wait 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 wait, wait, wait. I've gave up my job I've lost my reputation with all my people who think I'm a nut for giving up my job to follow a rabbi I believed you were the man I, I, I've been through all this stuff for three and a half years you think I'm going to quit now 
leave it. And then Peter, representing the chorus of affirmation from the disciples, says this. All these jokers might leave, but not me. That's Brett's paraphrase, by the way. I will stay with you, though they might all perish. They might go away. They might disperse. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, "Eh, not so much. Before the cock crows in the morning, you will deny me three times. What do you do when a prophet says that? Jesus knew that their expectations were going to be unusually diminished, dashed. And he knew that they were going to be challenged to stay together. And so he's asking the Father, Lord, they need more help than they know. Please give them some support beyond just the kind of self-will that they have to try to be loyal. Let them understand how important it is to have your name because your name is powerful. It's a name you gave me. I've represented you in the earth in a way that honored you. Nobody could tell the difference between who I was and who you were. That's how one we are. There's no distinction. When I spoke, you spoke. When I acted, you acted. I represented you. I could sign your name on the dotted line for anything because I knew I was co-signing your will. Give them the name like that because what has been reflected in you giving me the name is that we are one. Now, when Jesus was saying that he had the name, he wasn't describing the name, the name that God had given him as being that which kept him and the Father together. It was a describer, not a keeper. There are so many other things that make sure that the Father and the Son are unified beyond just the name, though the name is a part of the recipe. It, 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 it allows us as an indicator to understand how one they are. But when it comes down to us being sinners, <laughs> we need to be drawn together by some of the things that, it, that have been indicators of keeping them together. Are you listening to me? You can't. There's no way the Godhead could ever be disunified. God is who he is as a result of being who he is. There are no outside circumstances that have made him so. He always has been what he is. And he will never not be what he is. And so he is one as a triune being. The name indicates that he is one. But for us, it is the unifier to our oneness. It is an activator that stops us from being divided. And when we talk about what it means to keep our love, keep, uh, not be lovesick. Boy, I'm telling you, people will in a hurry figure out another reason not to be with you when things get tough. They will disguise it with all kinds of different explanations if they're, if they're Christians. I'm just not feeling the Lord <laughs> speaking to me about being with you anymore. I, I, there are other relationships that I need to give myself to other friendships, other groups. I'm just not feeling it. I can't tell you the number of spiritual reasons people give me as to why they don't want to be with me. And I just accept them, though I don't really believe them. I'm not mad that people don't want to be with me. I'm really not, because God places in the body as he sees fit. 
And if folks don't like me as a cup of tea, I don't have a problem with it. Because sometimes I don't like me. I mean, I look in the mirror and think, anybody wants to follow you? Are you kidding? I know your problems. You're really a mess. It's amazing that anybody wants to say yes to you. So I'm not mad about it. But I also know that justification with, with Scripture is probably not the best way to go when you want to say bye. There are other reasons that you ought to give that are legitimate. But generally speaking, most of the reasons that are legitimate in terms of explanation may not be legitimate in terms of biblical orthodoxy. They're mad because I said something they didn't like. I offended them. They didn't like what I did. And I'm not talking about from the pulpit. I'm talking about your life now. You may have said something to someone that offended them deeply and it wasn't even good stuff. I mean, you really offended them wrongly. And now they want to leave. They've got justification to do so. But is it biblical justification? God gives us fixes for our relationship. One is called forgiveness. Is there a reason I didn't get a good amen from everybody on that one? <laughs> when things get really bad, that's why he's given it to us. To forgive and restore people back to the place where they should have been. When, say, just like before they sinned. That's what forgiveness is for. Well, you say, well, wait, 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 wait. How do I retrust? Well, that's a different thing. You've got to build that back. But you have to be aimful about it. Targeting about it. Intent about it. You don't just let somebody go. Why? Because God didn't treat you that way. The disciples couldn't figure it out. This commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That one, they, they, they understood. Okay, you're supposed to love God. He said, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. They're tied together, inexorably bound. And the disciples were thinking, the first I get, but I don't. I don't know how to love John. He offends me regularly, Peter says. He's not my friend. I'm here only because I have to be with him because Jesus chose him and Jesus chose me. And we happen to be in the same band. But if I had my choice, I wouldn't be with John. And so Jesus says this. He says, a new commandment I give you in John 13. But new doesn't mean brand new. It means fresh. I'm, let me reiterate what the first and the second mean together. Love people just like I loved you. <laughs> what a challenge. Do you know how much God loved you? Do you really know? If, if you do, then you will exercise unusual patience with the people that require you to do so. You will be so loving to the unlovable. You will be so kind to the mean. God calls us to love people like he loved us. And I can't tell you how far we are on the end of the scale of unlovable. We max it. And he drew us close. He used all the things, the tools that are necessary to repair relationships in order to get us right. That's how we are to be with one another. Jesus realizes these guys are going to split. So God, I need, I need you to help by giving them some tools. This name that you've given me as the indicator of our oneness, I've now given them. 
and help them to hold on to it to such a degree that it not only unifies them with you, but unifies them with one another, brings them together. The name of God is, is valuable and it is powerful. Moses, having spent 40 years in Egypt as a prince, did some things that caused both the Egyptians and the, the Jews to dislike him. He realized he had made no friends in either camp and had to leave. As he's running from his judgment, he runs into a woman named Zipporah who has a father named Jethro. And Jethro happens to be the priest of Midian. Midian, generations ago, was one of the sons of Abraham. Covenantal people. They actually believed in circumcision, which was a part of the covenant. It's amazing that even when you're running from the call of God, he can have you run in the right direction. Jethro was a priest. He ran to a pastor. And for 40 years, he was cultivated in the environment. Now, were the Midianites like the Jewish people? No. But they were probably as close as Moses could get without being in the Jewish people. 40 years there, caring for Jethro's flocks. He's on the mountain, and he's caring for them, and all of a sudden, he sees this bush. And the bush is burning, but there's no smoke coming from it. He said, what in the world? Goes up to the bush to see what it, what's happening, and then the bush starts talking. Oh, Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I want you to know I've heard the cry of my people, and I'm sending you to go get them. Bring them out. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, I, I, this isn't, this isn't, I was planning on retiring and moving to Tampa. This doesn't really fit, <laughs> this doesn't fit my plan, and so, it, it, Lord, it really, you know I've been, never been able to speak well. Why are you going to send me? I, I, I stutter. I don't have issue. I got to be Who made man's mouth? Okay, but I mean, you know, I don't, what if they don't listen to me? Throw down the staff, becomes a snake. Put your hand in your cloak, leprous. Put it back in, not leprous. Okay, but what, what, who should I say sending me? He's trying to get out of it. It's been 2,500 genealogical years. And, and God has never told anybody his name. He's been known as Adonai, Elohim, titles, God, but no name. He didn't tell it to Abraham. He didn't tell it to Jacob, Isaac, nobody. Now, it's not for lack of asking. Jacob asked. I don't know if you remember when he was there on the other side of the Jabbok, <clears throat> a ford, kind of a watery area and he was going to meet his brother that he had defrauded of the birthright 20 years earlier. He's going to meet his brother Esau and the last remembrance of his brother that he had was that his brother had happy thoughts about killing him. Those are the thoughts that made his, him happy and so he is scared to death. Literally scared to death and he is praying on the side of the Jabbok realizing he's about to meet his brother tomorrow and it might be his last day on earth. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the darkness, no street lamps, in the middle of the darkness, somebody appears and begins to wrestle with him. He thinks it's probably Esau or one of Esau's henchmen. And he is wrestling for his, he's fighting for his life. And he wrestles all night long. And then this being that turns out to be what we call a theophany, we think a pre-incarnate version of who Jesus was, this being says, boy, you got some strength. 
He said, you have wrestled with God and have overcome, meaning you just don't quit. Touches his, the hip, hip socket. Hip goes out of place. Stops him. And Jacob realizes, oh, this isn't Esau. Or this is, this, this is God. This is, I'm wrestling with God. Oh, oh. And he says, well, who are you? What's your name? And the angelic being says, why do you ask? He asked for the name of God. He didn't get it. God likes to give his name to people he can trust with it. See, Jacob was a supplanter. He was a deceiver. He didn't wait for God to give him what he wanted. He went and got it. And if it meant he needed to take it from you, he was fine. What kind of brother do you have to be? That when your brother comes in from hunting and is unsuccessful in three days and hasn't eaten and you've got a pot of stew on the, on, on the stove and he says, I'm hungry, give me some. You say, only if you give me your birthright. What kind of brother is that dude? Ah! What kind of brother then when it's time to get the blessing from the father acts like he's the other guy? by putting himself in disguise so that his, his father thinks it's actually him because his father's eyes have dimmed to such a degree that he can't see anymore. All he can do is hear. And he takes his brother's blessing. What kind of brother are you? You got issues, bruh. You need, you need more than just a little bit of truth. You need to see a psychiatrist. You got issues. What's wrong with you? This is the way he treated life. God said, hmm. Can't trust you with my name. Ain't giving it to you. <laughs> what would you do if you gave the authority of your name to somebody and they decided to co-sign with your name on a house for a million dollar mortgage? How happy would you be? I imagine you'd say, you get the privilege no longer of using my name. I'm taking it back. You defrauded me. You did not represent me. Well, <laughs> God's name is valuable. He wouldn't give it to Jacob. Title, yes. Name, no. Moses is the first one he gave his name to. Who shall I say is sending me? He says, I am that I am. I imagine Moses said, um, is that a name? It's not like Bob or Jim, you know, I'm, I'm just, just ask it. It doesn't sound, it sounds like a verb. It sounds like a verb, not a noun. God doesn't explain, but I will. How do you put God in a confined spot like we put humans when we give them names? My name, last name is Fuller. My daddy made sure that I remembered that I had to represent when I went out of the house. Prom night, he said, boy, by the way, he called me boy at 30, so I ain't mad. <laughs> he said, boy, listen, no fights tonight. You don't get into nothing. You hear me? You're a fuller. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it wasn't just that I had to represent the name. I was the only black kid in the graduating class. And so I could not let people think that somehow I was something other than what my parents raised me to be because it would be a besmirch upon my race, not just my family. 
Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but that's the pressure under which I lived. Went to prom with a girl who was a dear friend of mine. No romantic intent at all. No romantic intent at all. Just plutonic. In fact, we were good friends. I knew the parents really well. Uh, after prom, we got undressed, got dressed for the after party. I was at the parents' home. They had a dog. And um, I knew the dog well. I've been to this house so many times. And I went down to pet the dog like this. The dog jumped up and bit me in the mouth. True story. Why would I lie? I don't know, but it's a true story. <laughs> I get nothing out of it if I do. I don't know why I'd lie, but I'm just I'm telling you why. Because my daddy didn't believe me. Listen, dog bit me in the mouth. I thought, oh, that hurt. And I didn't know how bad it was until the father looked me in the face and saw my lip was split open. I had to have eight, six to eight stitches. I can't remember, but it was a bunch of stitches on this lip. And I still got a little scar from it. And I got a scar up here. And uh, I missed the after party, obviously, which probably was a good idea. And I wound up going to the emergency room, getting stitches and going home. The next morning, my dad comes by, mother and father were divorced, and he sees my stitches in my mouth. What story am I going to tell him? <laughs> Yeah, I got in a fight. Dad, let me tell you what happened. I fed a bit. Uh-huh. Boy, I told you. He thought I'd mess with the family name. My point is names are important. Really important. And he says, I am. What does that mean? I can't be defined by any of your natural language. I'm beyond that. Because every time you define a fuller as a fuller, son of Joseph and Viola Ruth, dentist, fits this mold, doesn't go outside that, is this kind of human being. Every time you define a human being, you put them in a box to some degree. That I can't be put in any of those boxes because I'm not like you. I'm so different than you. You, in terms of humanity, were made as an immortal. Start date. Supposed to not have an end date. Unfortunately, Adam blew that for all of us, and we have reconfirmed his blowing. He sinned. As a result, we all have end dates. We've got appointments with the grave. Every one of us have appointments with the grave. I wish it were not so. But, but I'm doing everything I possibly can to try to make sure that my appointment for the grave is delayed I, I drink kombucha. <laughs> I work out every day of my life. Every day of my life, I work out very, very hard. I do what I can to eat right. I realize I've got an appointment with the grave, but I'm just trying to be late. <laughs> Jesus came to fix that appointment with the grave, meaning he came to give us life and that eternally so that we could recapture our immortality. He could only give us what he had, which was eternal life. He knew that we all could go to the grave, but we now go to the grave and then bypass the grave, and we live eternally with him when we get there. That's as good as it can get for humanity, but God exceeds that. He's not immortal. He's eternal. Eternity means this, that it has no end, but it also has no beginning. He is the only eternal being in the universe. And the reason he has to be eternal is because if he had a beginning, then whoever created him was God, and he isn't, because God can't be created. 
Because if, if God can be created, he can be destroyed. So he has no beginning and no end. Moses, listen to me. I always have been. I always am for you. And I always will be. I am. That's the best I can do for you, bro. <laughs> best I can do. I know it's hard to grasp, but I am hard to grasp. He gave him, we call it Yahweh, gave him his name. And he used it in order to deliver the people of Israel and gain credibility that somehow he now had acquired intimacy with God to such a degree that it even surpassed the elders of Israel. That then gave him credibility as being trusted, somebody that they could put their hopes in as being different than whatever they had tried before, that God had actually sent him. Listen to me, when God gives you his name, he's entrusting you with the deliverance, not only for you, but for others. The name is important. It's, it's so important. God made, it, made, made a commandment around the name out of the ten, one out of the ten. Uh, number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why? Because when you use it in a way that is meaningless so often, when you need to use it, it doesn't mean anything to you. You want that name to mean something when you say it. I'm not trying to be the OMG police. I'm not trying to go around talking to everybody. Stop that. Don't say that. But when you say it, you're not praying. It's an exclamation point. It's, a, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's words put together to, to verbalize your surprise, your disbelief. When you say the name of Jesus in astonishment, Jesus Christ, it ought not be that way. His name ought not be cheapened like that in your own mind. It doesn't mean that empirically it is cheapened. It does mean that, it, that experientially it is in your mind when you need to use it. So it ought to be vaulted in your soul. Not, not for, for safekeeping just in case of emergency. It ought to be vaulted in your soul so that when it is needed, it means something to you when you say it. In the name of Jesus, demon, come out of that, that boy. In the name of Jesus, be healed from that disease. It ought to mean something to you. But when you take it in vain regularly, when you need it to have power, does it have power when you say it? It does empirically, but it may not experientially. Therefore, God said, reserve it. Use it when it's needed. It's there for you. I give it to you. But do not use it meaninglessly and do not use it wrongly. That's what he thinks about his name. Names are so important that they bind us to one another. Adam. <laughs> Adam was created by God. He was, he was the pinnacle of creation 1A. There was a one that was coming. He was 1A. And as he was created, he realized, I'm, I'm, I'm different than, than everything else on the planet. I have a commission from God. I'm, I'm supposed to steward over all these things and be fruitful and multiply and rule over it. I am the agent of God on the earth. This planet is mine. But how in the world am I going to be fruitful and mul multiply by myself? Hmm. And it says that man was alone and it wasn't good. So God brought the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. 
And I think that was to amplify the need in his life and to describe the kinds of things that would not supply for him. Animals can do for you what people can. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And, and this is from an animal lover. Let me rephrase that. This is from an animal liker. I love people. I like animals. I distinguish. I'm the, I'm the kid. At the age of 10, there was, a, there was a bunny rabbit in my backyard that had its back severed. You could actually see it severed, spine severed, by some dog that just wanted to chase it, kill it, and run away. I found it, brought it into my house, told my mama, we got to fix this animal. Mama knew this animal was dying. I said, we need to take it to the vet. Mama said, baby, no, no, no. I said, mama, we need to take it to the vet. Baby, no, no. Mama, if my back was broken... That's what 10-year-olds do. I made my mama pay $100 for that, for that vet to euthanize that animal. <laughs> That's Brad. I really like animals. I was going to be a vet. That was my first occupational choice. Second was dentistry. But I've been biblically defined to such a degree that an animal can only do what an animal is supposed to do for me. He ain't supposed to be my companion. Whoops. And let me tell you, they don't mind because they know they're not supposed to. <laughs> Only people are supposed to fill that spot. So he brought him to, the, to Adam to see what he would name him. And, 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 and Adam named him, but he didn't name them in any way that tied them to him. And he realized even more now experientially, I don't have anything that I can name that's like me. And then God put him to sleep, took a rib out, fashioned into a woman, the rib that he had taken from the man. And it says God brought her to the man. This is one. He's 1A. This is one. God bringing her to Adam, to me, means that he was having a conversation with her. He was developing a relationship with her. Adam woke up. All he knew was he had something missing. He didn't know what happened. Time passed, all of a sudden he sees rounding the cord corner of Eden's garden this beautiful, majestic creature like nothing he had ever seen before. And let me tell you, Adam, from my perspective, I think was about seven foot six, 240 pounds. <laughs> ran a 4240. <laughs> bench pressed 700 pounds. And we laugh. But he was everything that humanity is. We all came from him. Every one of us. He was the best of all of us. Why wouldn't he be that? Just everything every man wants to be was him. Everything. Smart, strong, courageous, at the pinnacle of all. And Adonis. V-shaped body. Just, I mean, <laughs> just, I mean, he was, he was all that. I amplified only because he had somebody like him who was different. One. She rounds the corner of Eden. Comes out and he's <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, top ten, she's fifteen. 
perfect in every way. Six foot nine. <laughs> 180 pounds. All the dimensions that sound perfect to you without me describing them. And I mean, Adam is, and, and let me tell you why I'm saying it like this, because this was his first sighting. And the first, he sees her. And the first thing he says is, I'm changing your name. It's kind of like what I felt like when I saw Cynthia, my bride. After two weeks of being with this girl, she was beautiful. She was smart. She was spiritually sensitive. She wanted ministry. She was sacrificial. She was everything I wanted. Her last name was Wakefield. I said, I got to fix that. <laughs> I'm going to change your name, girl. <laughs> That's what I felt on the inside. I'm not going to leave you, Wakefield. That's what Adam said. Every place that God describes Adam up to this point, every time he does it, it's Adam, which is his specific name. But here Adam describes himself as Ish. The Hebrew word is Adam for Adam. But here the Hebrew word for man is Ish. And he says, my name's Ish. I'm going to make you Ish Shah. I'm man, you will be Wu man. This is where we get the idea of the woman taking the man's name when they say I do. And I realize that men have been really stupid and very authoritarian in using their power wrongly in order to deprive the woman of her, her identity and then kind of envelop her in such a way that she's now swallowed up by the man. That is not what God intended. This, thank you for your clapping, but I don't have time. This is what God was thinking. She rounds that corner. He sees her. He realizes she's as much of an inheritor of all of this as me. She came from my side, not from my pinky toe. She, she's an equal to me. I, what can I give her that she doesn't already have? I can go to the, to the river over there where the four meet, out of which was his fountainhead where four rivers came, and there was gold there and bedillium and onks. I can give her that, but she's got that already. What can I give her of value? that she doesn't have, I know. I'll give her my name. It's the only thing I have, a value that she does not. And it will describe our unity, our oneness together at the same time. Adam gives her his name, Ish. Yet, not depriving her of ident her identity, she g he gives her another name, Wu, for us. Shah. Her name was Ish Shah. His was Ish. When a man gives a woman his name, it's the only thing that nobody can take away from him. It's the most valuable thing he's got. It's his reputation. It's his life. When he gives it, it's supposed to be the greatest gift he's got. And it's supposed to describe how unified he wants to be with her. Nobody else gets my name but you. And I will live like that for the rest of my days. Infidelity unity and harmony with you. A name is like really important. Jesus said, in this name I've kept all these disciples 
save the son of perdition. He was supposed to go, but I kept the rest of them in the name. That's how I've been able to do it. And I can't tell you how much I am kept by the name. It's not just Brett's self-will. I am kept in this world not just by my own commitment. I am kept because I realize Sean Clemens has the name. J.C. Stevenson has the name. Lou Generous, Louise Generous has the name. So many of my friends had the same name that in order for me to drift, I've got to, I got to bust through a lot of barriers. People who care about me deeply and would pull me back in a hurry. Why? Because we got the same name. You want to talk about how to fix your love that might be sick? You hold on to the name with other people who've got the same thing and you realize in a very... In a, in the most genuine way possible, that daddy has made you all family. Oh, if you've lived long enough and your family's big enough, there are people you have to invite to Thanksgiving that have your last name that you wish you didn't have to. <laughs> you sit there, you send out the invitations, and you think a little bit. Oh, do we want to this year? Can we make it in every other year thing? What can we do? <laughs> you hang with people who got your name. Now, I can't treat everybody in the body of Christ the same way I treat these people. You can't because I'm not God. I can, I can only spread myself so thin. But I can be faithful to the people God has given me. And they me, and we keep each other from falling. As I close... He says, they're also kept in this word, and this word allows for them to have my joy. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness comes as a result of favorable circumstances. And it's possible for joy to follow happiness in those moments, but it doesn't mean that you are experiencing the kind of biblical joy that Jesus is speaking of. Because joy can be expressed and felt on the inside when you are flowing with tears on the outside. Joy says this, I'm going through this valley of the shadow of death. It is painful. It is horrible. I feel all alone, but I know my word says I'm not. That God is with me through it. His rod and his staff are comforting me. And I'm about to go on the other side of this thing. And so I'm going to not let my soul get depressed, get discouraged. I'm not going to fi find myself so forlorn that I feel myself drifting. No, I'm going to hang on to my God because the end is going to be better than the middle. And you can have joy in the midst of your pain because you understand what the word says about what the end is going to be. Jesus said they are going to need that kind of joy because they aren't going to have many happy days. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be chastised. They're going to be spoken ill of. They're going to be lied on. They're going to be beaten. And every day they're going to have to feel what I feel because, hear me, Jesus never had a happy day. Are you listening to me? He never had a happy day. Why can I say that? Because heaven was perfect. Even the best day down here was so bad compared to that. The only way he could tra travel through, endure through that moment, was the joy it says he had. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There was something on the inside of him that said, <laughs> Oh, valley, so what? Oh, difficulties, so what? I know what's on the other end. Joy. And this word keeps us from the evil one. 
that devil, he doesn't like you. He hates you. You look too much like God. You, you act too, sometimes, you act too much like God. <laughs> you, but you're a danger. You're a threat that you might do something that, that, that destroys his kingdom. So he's got a big bullseye on you. And you cannot fight him with self-will. One of the curses that the enemy inherited as a result of his deceiving Adam and Eve, eating the fruit that they shouldn't have eaten, Jesus said, the Father said this about the serpent, you will eat the dust of the earth all the days of your life. And what are we but glorified dust? He knows how to eat you for lunch. He will take your self-will and enjoy it on his palate. You, don't, you can't fight him with will. You got to fight him with the word. You got to get in this Bible and read your Bible every day of your life so you know how to fight. And Jesus says, I'm stopping. I'm really stopping. (laughs) Jesus was there after 40 days of fasting. 40 days. I mean, the man's hungry. It's the kind of hunger that none of us experience, even if you fasted three, four days. 40 days is a lot of hunger. It's the kind of hunger where your body says, I'm dying if you don't feed me. It is horrible. And the enemy comes to him at his weakest moment and says, turn the stone to bread. He could have done it. What would have been evil about that except who was inspiring him? And so he says, hmm, yeah, I feel like I'm dying, but man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy. Oh, the enemy says, oh, you know the Bible. Oh, 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 all right, all right, all right, all right. Well, how about go to the temple, stand on top, throw yourself off, and it says the angels of God will give charge concerning you, and you won't even strike your foot against a stone. Yeah, but you don't know the hierarchy of scripture. There are other scriptures that supersede other scriptures. All of them are true, but some are governing. And it also says you shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test. Oh, you know the Bible like that, huh? (laughs) Oh, okay, 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 okay. Listen. See all these kingdoms of the world? They're mine. I can give them to whoever I want. They're yours if you just bow to me. Mm, Pretty picture. But... You shall not worship the Lord God. You shall not worship anyone else but the Lord your God. And it says the enemy left him. All of those were scriptures. Jesus could have said anything he wanted because he was almighty God. He could have made up stuff that would have been perfectly right. But he went back to what he had already read. Get in your Bible. Get in your Bible. You want to fight the devil that is tempting you to go wrong, tempting you to do wrong, think, tempting you to think wrong. You get in your Bible and you begin to get an arsenal down in your soul that, that lets you now not let the enemy overcome you. This is how we are kept through the name and through the word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm asking for your grace that you would inspire and help all of us. Give us the grace to live this life well.